you've looked in your notes today, you might be thinking, this is not a typical Mother's Day sermon. And you'd be right. However, I think that if you uh, love your mama, then you would want to pay attention to what the Bible says. And it may even be that there are things that we look at today in God's Word that your mama would want to say to you. Or maybe that you are the mama, and you need to say it to your son or grandson or daughter or granddaughter. God's Word is good in all seasons and in all ways, and so uh, together we're going to uh, look at it. And if you think it's awkward for you, my father-in-law is sitting right over there, and i got to talk about this with him in the room. And so, uh, and so are my kids, by the way, so we will be careful with our words. So let's uh, stay seated, but let's read together from God's Word in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as we continue our study of that letter. Now, in response to the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have relations with a woman. But because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital responsibility to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another sexually, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, otherwise Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Now, you'll find more text written in your uh, notes. Uh, we'll also refer to some segments not in there. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, if you've been around here, you know that we've been walking through this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And we come to this particular place in chapter 7 where the, the tone of the letter really begins to change. Here, we start to see Paul responding to questions that this ancient Corinthian church had written to him. We're talking about a real pastor in a real church, and they had a real question on this particular subject. If you're looking in your text of the Bible, you're probably going to see in verse 1 of chapter 7 that sentence in quotation marks, it is good for a man not to have relations with a woman. What's happening here is that a letter that we don't have had been sent from the Corinthians to Paul, and in that letter they had made this statement and apparently had asked, Paul, what do you think about this subject? The church had uh, been wondering about this. Now we've seen Paul rebuke the church and teach the church, but here he begins with a very gentle pastoral perspective, beginning to help them work through the complexities of real-life situations. God's Word speaks to all areas of life, and so we come to a place where Paul is carefully navigating a pretty sensitive subject, and I think we can learn from it too. It raises the question for us as we kind of listen 2,000 years later, what was going on in this Corinthian church for this question to even get asked? Now, scholars have kind of uh, bounced this around a little bit, and some would say that, uh, that apparently the, the husbands, the men in this Corinthian context, uh, within the church, they had come to faith in Christ, and they had decided that they had to devote themselves only to spiritual matters. 
that they, in effect, sort of neglected their, uh, their responsibilities at home of all sorts so that they could just be focused on spiritual things. And that might have been the case. Another school of thought is to look at this and, and think that those Corinthian men were actually, they had become Christians, they were following Christ, but as we've talked about several times in the context of studying 1 Corinthians, these are regular people, and they carried all kinds of wrong notions and thinking from their past into their church and into their life with Christ. If that was the case, then likely the Corinthians were doing what all the other Roman men did with respect to their wives. In the, in the context of Rome, the, the Roman culture, a, a wife was little more than a means to an heir. A wife was, the purpose of having a marriage was not love or fulfillment or any of the things that we, even in a secular American context, might assume. In the Roman culture, a wife was a way to get an heir, a, a legal means to continue the family line. And then the husbands were expected to go express other purposes for their, their relationships outside of the marriage. This is very common in the Corinthian context. So there was no expectation that there was any purpose for marriage beyond that of producing an heir. And this is what Paul begins to, to weigh in on. And I think this is probably the best way to think about what was happening. Because what Paul begins to do is he begins to teach them that, that hey, there's more to this reality that we call marriage in this context than, than just procreation of an heir. And in our context, I think it's important for us to hear that there is more to the purpose of marriage than just some sort of fulfillment in a relationship. There's, there's more than that. Our, our culture kind of operates on that, under that assumption that marriage is good as long as it's fulfilling for me. That's generally the way that it's approached in our culture. The purpose is to fulfill my needs, and if that purpose isn't getting met, well, then I just move on to another relationship or move out to some other place to get my needs met. Well, what we're going to see Paul do for the Corinthians, and I think what it would do for us as well, is to press us to think more carefully about the purpose of marriage. The Corinthians were confused about the purpose, but we don't have to be. And so Paul points to one of the purposes that marriage serves. Let me just read verses 3 through 5 again, and then I want to just put my finger on what I think he's pointing to as one of the purposes that God intends in the context of marriage. Verse 3, a husband should fulfill his marital responsibility to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. And here's what I want you to catch. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Here's the purpose that Paul is pointing to. It's not the only purpose for marriage, but at least one of the purposes that God intended in calling a man and woman together into the context of covenant marriage, one of those purposes is the protection 
of the man and the woman against the attacks of the enemy. One of the purposes of a covenant Christian marriage is to protect both the husband and the wife against the attacks of the enemy. We're not used to thinking in those kinds of terms, and so what I'd like to do is to help us to see how it is that God's design of marriage serves to protect both husband and wife. And, and you need to know that we really do have something that we need to be protected against. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, a, a Peter writes, and he will say that the devil, your adversary, is prowling around like a lion, seeking whom he might devour. And that's the, the context for Paul talking about protection. We need it because we have an enemy who is seeking to kill and destroy and consume. And sadly, he's doing it all across our country. And sadly, he is consuming even in the context of the Christian church. And so we need to hear how it is that God has designed for us to be protected in the context of husband and wife. Are you ready? Okay, I feel pretty good about that. That was, uh, that was okay. All right. If you just said no, I don't know what I would have done. But um, we're going we're gonna to do. So how is it that this works? How does the context of marriage work to protect husband and wife? Uh, husbands, let's start here. Let me just talk to you uh, brother to brother. Here's how the enemy is seeking to attack and destroy your wife. All across our culture, your wife is hearing and seeing messages that say to her that she is not beautiful enough, she is not good enough, and she is not worthy of anyone's love and affection and devotion, that she is not valuable. The enemy's attack against your wife is to attack her heart at the level of her sense of who she is. And that attack is going to come in the form of movies and advertisements and little conversations with her friends and the things that she's hearing in music and on the radio, and all of those things are going to say to her, she's not valuable enough. The enemy is seeking to destroy our sisters, brother. He's seeking to destroy our sisters by convincing her that she's not valuable. She's not beautiful. And so in the context of marriage, if God has called you into marriage, then he has called you to protect one of his children, one of his daughters. And your job in protecting her is to convince her day after day, hopefully decade after decade, that he gives you in relationship with your wife. Your job is to convince her over and over again, that she is valuable, she is beautiful, that she is worth all of the sacrifice 
that's you, and ultimately that Jesus himself would make for her. You know one of the practical ways you do this, guys? Brothers, you know one of the practical ways that we do this for our wives? Is by deciding that our wife will be our standard of beauty. Now, author and pastor Gary Thomas puts it this way. He says, if, if you want to have a fully satisfying marriage, then treat your wife like Eve. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, treat your wife like she's the only woman in the world. If you want your marriage to be fully satisfying, guys, husbands, treat your wife like she's the only woman in the world. This means that that the woman that God has called you into marriage with, this, this woman is what beauty is to you. If you've been around here for a couple of years, you've probably heard me say this. If if God has called you into marriage with a tall woman, then you are into tall. And if he's called you into marriage with a short woman, you're into short. If he's called you into marriage with a brunette, you're into brunettes and a blonde, blonde. If he's called you into marriage with a skinny woman, you're into skinny. If he's called you into marriage with a formerly skinny woman, you're into formerly skinny. (laughs) That's what it means. She's your standard of beauty. Whatever she looks like, she is your Eve. And you protect her every day that you convince her that that is true. That there is no one else that could ever compare with her for you. You protect your wife You protect God's daughter by convincing her every day as you are verbally generous, telling her how beautiful she is, that she is worthy, valuable. And you know how you short-circuit this protection? It's when you don't. And I don't mean don't compliment her I mean when you don't treat her as your standard of beauty. You know that statistics will say that 64% of men in our culture today have viewed pornography in the last month. You know that research also shows that 62% of Christian men in the church have viewed pornography in the last month. The way that you go from being an instrument of your wife's protection to being an instrument of her destruction is by allowing your eyes to be consumed by looking at the bodies of others. You will destroy her because you are saying to her, whether she even realizes where it's coming from or not. You were saying to her that she's not enough, that she's not beautiful, that she's not satisfying for you. 
You have become the instrument of the enemy's attack into her heart. When you allow your eyes to be used for that purpose. And do you remember what the Apostle Paul said? In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. He's not talking about parts down below. He's talking about parts right here. Your eyes, men, brothers, your eyes do not belong to you. They belong to your wife if you are married. And so if she is not approving of where they're looking, they can't look there because they don't belong to you. They belong to her. And if she doesn't know, or even if things have gotten so broken where she might say, it's okay, I don't care, your eyes still don't belong to you. Because as we talked about last week, your body, all of it, is a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Your eyes belong first to him. And so don't take them someplace that does not reflect his holiness. Your body does not belong to you, brothers. It belongs to your wife. And so if you want to experience a fully satisfied marriage, then give your whole self to her. If you're struggling in this area, we'll put up some resources on the pastor's resource tab. You can get help here. You can get free. You can make a change if you'd be willing to recognize that this is wrong and it can't keep happening. Brothers, you can protect your wives. Sisters, you can protect your husbands. Paul points to the way that, that a wife protects her husband, but, but let me just help you to see the attack of the enemy. We've talked about it here. Uh, sisters, you can protect your husband because you know which way the attack's coming for him. You know that he will be attacked with these visual stimuli that serve like the hooks of a fisherman's lure to lodge themselves into him. And as he is caught in that hook, the three barbs of shame and of guilt and of embarrassment will paralyze him in indecision and fear. And he will become less of a man than God created him to be. This is the attack of the enemy against our brothers all across this culture. It's the attack of the enemy. And sisters, if, if God has called you into marriage with one of the sons of God, then you are his primary protection. Not his only. He has a responsibility in this as well. But you are his primary protection. He's dependent on you. And so, 
as you are generous with your husband, then you are encouraging him to look to you, to find his satisfaction. But when you allow fear, uh, insecurity, to, to cause you to hide yourself from him, then you, you leave him abandoned and vulnerable. And so don't do that. Let, let yourself be vulnerable with your husband. And, and this is a real practical thing. You just need to know, sisters, that, that we guys are, uh, we, we of your brothers, we're pretty insecure when it comes to this whole subject too. And, and so it takes a lot of courage for a guy to, uh, to express appreciation and to, uh, to, to, to pursue a woman. And I'm not just talking about in the context of the bedroom, in any context. It's, it's hard for us to do that. Frankly, we're pretty much terrified of you from about the age of 12 on. <laughs> and it doesn't change when we get married. We're still scared of you. Um, we just learn to hide it better. So you just need to know, sisters, that, that when your husband pursues you, if, if you greet him with a no or a that's not going to work or that's not good enough, before long, he's going to be too scared to do anything. And so here's my encouragement to you. When he pursues you, let him win. Sometimes. <laughs> it, it's not always easy for us, and so I've, I've appreciated how this has worked um, in, in my own relationship with Christy. And I'm not going to talk about anything in the bedroom, so don't worry, babe. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> I have tried to pursue her because I know that she likes nice things. And so one of the ways that, that, that I would do this is I would, would try to take her to fancy restaurants on occasion. You know, um, the, the ones where they don't even have the price tags on the menu. I've never seen anything like that before. But I thought, okay, I'm going to impress her, and I'm going to uh, pursue her. And I would sit down, and we would have a meal, and the whole time... I am a wreck because I don't know which fork to use. I'm not sure what to say. And I don't know how much it's going to cost and whether or not I can even afford this thing after it's over. Well, after we had done this for several years, I suggested one night, uh, as I think it was for an anniversary, that we uh, go out to, uh, to a fancy restaurant. And she kind of patted me on the arm and she said gently, how about we just go to Whataburger? And I said, no, I want to take you out to a fancy place. And she said, no, I want to talk to you. And if we go to a fancy restaurant, you're not going to talk. You'll be so distracted by what's happening there. So let's just go to Whataburger and let's just talk. It was the best date ever, y'all. Um, <laughs> and I had the best wife ever because she recognized I was trying. I was trying. But she didn't expect me to get that all right. She recognized I was trying to pursue her. And then she helped me get into a context where I could win. Help your brother. Help a brother out. If he's trying, then reward him with your affection and your appreciation. And you will teach him that you are safe and that he should come to you. You can, you can do this. Now here's what I know. We're all broken when it comes to this subject. No, nobody survives in this culture, which has a full attack from the time we are little children all the way until the time we're dead. This culture, the enemy has turned to attack on this subject. 
And all of us have wounds and brokenness here, brothers and sisters alike. We all got brokenness here. And so in the context of your marriage, as you're trying to be faithful to God's word, let me just encourage you in two ways. One, be ready to show grace and forgiveness. You're going to need it. Because if you pursue this kind of intimacy and learning to protect one another, you're going to find that, that sometimes your husband or your wife has fallen, that the enemy's bullets have landed. And it's going to require grace and forgiveness and patience to move towards the healing and the fruit of an intimate, secure relationship. It's going to take that because we've all taken hits in this world. But that primary purpose of marriage, I said protection was one of them, but don't miss the primary purpose of marriage. The Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5 where he says this thing, marriage, it's a mystery. But you know what it's really all about? It's about Christ and the church. When you choose forgiveness and grace and patience and faithfulness, you are putting Christ's love on display for the brother or sister that God has called you into marriage with. You need that. We all need that. And you have an opportunity to demonstrate that in the context of the relationship that God has given you. Sometimes you need help. Sometimes things have gotten so broken, either in one or the other or both, that you need help. And let me just encourage you to reach out and find it. We've got some resources here. There are plenty of places where you can, can look, but don't try to just sort of muddle through this on your own. Because sometimes things are so broken in one or the other or both that you just need the context of Christ's community to help you move forward. So don't fight that battle alone. Get help. Because God's purpose for your marriage is to put his love and mercy and forgiveness on display. And you can do that because Christ has done it for you. Okay, take a deep breath. You ready? Okay. Let's talk about one more thing and then we're going to be done. Are you all ready for that? No, you're not ready. You want to go home and eat lunch. I hear you. But I'm still going to do one more thing. So, because I know that we're not all married here, and so did the Apostle Paul. And so we can't just skip past this. Let's just look at this part together because it's important. Verse 8. I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it's good for them if they remain as I am. But if they do not have self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with desire. 
Remember, we're talking about a pastor and real people, just like you and me, pastor and real people. So he's saying, look, there are seasons where we find ourselves single. That is not called into the marriage relationship. God, God leads us there. And you know what? That is not a curse. It is a calling. If God has not yet called you into marriage, or if he has led you into a, a season of singleness, if you have lost your husband through death, then he's called you into a season of singleness. And it's a calling, not a curse. Because both marriage and singleness, these are both moments that point to a deeper and more important reality. The purpose of singleness if you are looking forward in the future to being married, but uh, to being married, but you're not yet, then the purpose of your singleness now is not to go find a husband or a wife, but rather to become the man or the woman that God has shaped you to be. It is to pursue Jesus and His way of life, not to pursue a guy or a gal to share your life with. That's the, the first purpose of that season of singleness. But the reason why Paul says it's good to remain unmarried, just like him, not attached in marriage, is because Paul knows that the, the way that God's family grows is not by propagation, but by regeneration. The way God's family grows is not by physical reproduction, but by the sharing of this good news of Jesus so that others might hear and believe and be adopted into the family of God. And that family is the family that endures forever. As good as marriage is, and as good as family is, it is temporary. And it's hard to say on Mother's Day, I know. <laughs> Those relationships are temporary. They become permanent as we and our children and the people around us are adopted into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you are in a season of singleness, whether by choice or by God's providence, you can know that the purpose of this season is so that the mission of God, that all the nations would know about the saving work of Jesus might be furthered through you. So make sure you're about that business because God is calling you to extend his family, not through propagation, but by through the regeneration that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the mission that he's given to all of us, regardless of the season of life 
we find ourselves in. And so today, let's recommit ourselves to that purpose because that purpose remains forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for designing this thing that we call marriage. Thank you for your good purposes for it. We ask for your forgiveness for how we've mishandled it and mismanaged it. We ask for your forgiveness for how we have become instruments of the enemy instead of instruments of your protection. We, all of us, come under the blood of Jesus to find our forgiveness and we rest on his words. There is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. We rest under that. And out of that safe place, we ask, would you teach us to do this thing your way? And for all of us, regardless of the season you've called us into, would you open our eyes to see your grander purpose, your bigger plan, to call a family for yourself through faith in Jesus. And even today, would you show us how to be on mission with you, extending your family through that regenerating work. Do it even now, even here. Would you draw us to yourself? Would you adopt new people into your family even now as they turn to you in faith? We surrender ourselves to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior and King.